Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Tom Salta for Wolfenstein Youngblood. And get ready to learn more about electronic music in the early 80s. Tom is like the perfect dude for a soundtrack just like this. And my favorite part of it all is that he only used sounds that were available in the early 80s. So it literally sounds of the age. I was really excited to be approached by um, by the audio director to ask me to pitch on the project. And even though I'm not generally a fan of pitching, um, it was an opportunity I didn't want to pass up. So, uh, and I know the legacy of, of uh, Wolfenstein, so I was happy to do it. I knew uh, Mick Gordon would not be on this one. So, um, and it's not the first time that I've that Mick and I have kind of been jumping around on the same titles, uh, you know, so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, this is a, it's, it's funny. It just, it just felt right. I, I, he told me about the game and, uh, told me about, uh, what really got me excited was the approach, uh, which was the 1980s, uh, 1981, 1980 timeframe in, in Paris. And, uh, when he started describing what they were looking for, I'm like, yeah, I'm all in, I'm all <laughs> in. So, so that, that was probably the most fun I had on a, on a pitch. <laughs> well, what was funny is that the second I heard the very first uh, track, uh, Do or Die, Sis, or the first time I heard that track, I was like, well, this is so Tom Salta, and I love it. It was just, it was just like, <laughs> oh. so you. So uh, I just, I just could tell that you had a blast on it. So yes. uh, tell me a little bit more about why that is. Well, for those people that know me well, they'll know that I'm pretty much a 1980s fanatic. Um, and that's not just with video games and all of that, but it's also with music. I basically was, I grew up in the 80s and I got my first synthesizer in 1985. Um, so I was a lover of 80s synth and electronic music. Hu hugely heavy into New Wave, of course, because those artists were on the cutting edge, you know, Depeche Mode and New Order and Erasure and Yaz and OMD and, you know, I can keep going down ministry and, you know, so I really um, got good at, I learned my craft by getting synthesizers and listening to the music and I grew up with all that gear. So, mm -hmm. you know, going back, it was like reminiscing. It was like a walk down memory lane and it's really wonderful that I had the uh, opportunity to create a restriction or a, a boundary um, of musical vocabulary that I had to stay within. So everything that I did musically, including the sound sources and the effects, were all authentic 1980, 1981 sound sources. So what I mean by that is I wouldn't use anything that did not exist in that time frame to create the music, even if it was tempting to take a shortcut and say, well, it would be easier to get a really pumping sound if I, you know, went to some of my modern libraries or instruments. I said, nope, nope. <laughs> wow. How would this be done in the 80s? And, you know, so for me, that was fun because I, I love those limitations. It makes me more creative and resourceful. Wow. Well, that's super exciting and uh, to hear that because it, it definitely 
you know, hit the sweet spot for me too, just um, orally speaking, you know, listening wise, mm-hmm. because I also, I, I think I'm maybe just the tiniest bit younger than you, but I also grew up in the 80s. <laughs> yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's the sound of my youth as well. Um, yeah. And and you got to do so many cool things with this music, but mm-hmm. uh, I'd love to talk more about that track in uh, in uh, particular, Do or Dices, because uh, I loved the vibe. I loved how, how slowly it builds and... Um, the, you know, it's got this tension in the beginning that keeps you like curious about what's coming. And yeah. uh, I'd just love to hear, uh, about creating that particular track. Oh, well, thank you. Um, well, I'm, I'm happy to. So, um, some of the sound sources in that one, some of the sounds that I, I remember using, um, were like the Synclavier, which in the in anyone that knows music in the eighties, this was like the unattainable music workstation that cost at least a hundred thousand dollars, if not more. Only the superstars had it. Yeah, you know whether it's Stevie Wonder or Peter Gabriel or things like that. And um, you know, so that was like I, that was like a poster on my wall growing up. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> but nowadays, you, you know, they have sound libraries that are that you know they have the factory libraries sampled from this stuff. So I'm like, oh my god, you wow. know. So I. I was able to, you know, and you don't normally have excuse to kind of go back and use sounds like that because it's a little out of context normally. Yeah. But, you know, things, you know, the Prophet and the Mini Moog and uh, the drum machines like the DMX uh, mm-hmm. drum machine. I remember using that in high school. By the end of it, I'm like, so how can we create something that feels militant and Nazi German <laughs> and like, you know, run to da, 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 just very... And, but it doesn't take itself too seriously, and it just feels gritty and tough, and it it just has that personality. And you know, I think that was a big part of coming up with that triplet pattern with the drums. Boom, boom, You know, it feels yeah. like I'm marching, high Hitler. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But using the '80s drum machines and this really reverberant, gritty, dirty. Uh, source sounds that I put through all kinds of 80s um, filters or choruses or distortion boxes and you know so I can kind of geek out and go on and on but you know it's just this personality that bleeds through it that uh, that's what Wolfenstein meant to me and uh, you know and the two sisters who are who are on a mission basically were together it was fun I assume you played this game when you were a kid or younger. Yes, I I did play Wolfenstein, but it wasn't one of the ones that I was like, you know, I played every one on the series forwards and backwards. So um, I actually had to kind of uh, jump into this and do a lot of R&D before I started. So I felt like I'm up to speed where I would feel comfortable and authentic. (laughs) That's really important (laughs) to me. You know, not everything I'm going to know inside and out. Um, but so this one, I, I had to make sure that I was going to be authentically Wolfenstein. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, you know, cinematics music and um, because, you know, as because I only got to hear these these yeah. handful of tracks and I know you wrote a ton of music. So 
I'd love to know a little bit more about, you know, what what that is like in the game. Uh, It was really fun being able to resort to 80s technology to score them. So, um, you know, the audio director certainly uh, had some clear references that he wanted me to listen to, like um, the early Cocteau Twins, Graceland's album. Oh, so that neo punk. Uh, post-punk stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly the apocalyptic, uh, post-apocalyptic sound of Wolfenstein in general. Um, and so, uh, but also John Carpenter, right? You know, yeah, John Carpenter, yeah. like, he defined, you know, 80s synth scores, yeah. you know, whether yeah. it was, you know, the 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 thing or... Um, uh, Escape from New York or Halloween and, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, listening to how he would approach it. So I watched some more of his movies just to kind of get in the mood. And I'm like, ah, yeah, okay. So a lot of times he'll do this or this kind of thing or this just the sustain. It just makes you feel really uncomfortable, you know, or whatever. So I learned a lot. And I, it, it kind of taught, you know, brought me back into the early 80s musical vocabulary um, that has stood the test of time and has really become very iconic. I like using that word a lot, but it's true. It's, it's so true. true. So, you know, yeah. even with Vangelis and Blade Runner, Blade Runner, I, I, you know, I watched that again and listened to just the original yeah. and to um, really kind of get into that vocabulary. And I, it reminded me of how important reverbs were, but not just any reverb, you know, it was the, the reverbs back in the eighties. So I used a lot of spring reverbs and I used a lot of lexicon uh, and eventide. So, huh. you know, all those things were very synonymous with, uh, with the eighties sound. It wasn't just the synths. It was also the effects that they got run through and the tape and, yeah. you know, it, yeah. all of that became part of the music. And I think that's, part of what makes it sound so authentically <laughs> well yeah no kidding i mean was uh did you keep any of your synths from when you were a kid did you have any of that gear left over oh i do indeed i have uh, i have my wall which i'm looking at right now I wish your viewers could see it but basically it's my synth wall and uh i have at the very top um the 1985 JX3P that I that I got when I it was the summer of eighth grade, and um, my dad got me that synthesizer. That was the first synth I ever bought. I really wanted the Juno 106 uh, in those days, but it was way too expensive. As it was, I had to get a used one. Hmm. So I have the Juno 106 that 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 made an appearance in this thing. So the Juno 106 actually belonged to the Pet Shop Boys. All right, really? talk about 80s. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I definitely have a wall of uh, of gear. But a lot of time, and I have my mini Moog over to my right, and I have a profit on my desk here. Um, but a lot of times, I use a lot of synth uh, plugins uh, and um, and um, emulations of either synths and uh, certain effects. Like I don't have a Lexicon 480. Okay. You know, there's no need for me to spend ten thousand dollars on a reverb unit. So um, <laughs> there's a, you know, they I have there's some really really good licensed recreations of it. And uh, okay. it was it it was great. I mean, I know what it sounds like, and it's legit. So, um, you know, there's if I were to actually own all the gear that I used on this score, it wouldn't be able to fit into my house. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, it was just like so much stuff. Yeah, but it was it was just so much fun. But yeah. yeah. 
So I'm just cur- out of curiosity, uh, how I just, just imagine that you knew about all that gear going into this anyway. Like you didn't yes. have to do any more research to be like, hmm, I no. wonder what reverbs were used in the 80s. You knew all that stuff. Yes, I definitely knew the gear. But just because I, I guess it's my OCD, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't off by a year. So I would say, you know, did this come out in 1982? Because if it came out in 82, I didn't want to use it. Wow. <laughs> you know? So I did go uh, on uh, online and made sure. I was like, oh, yeah, this, you know, this came out in 1979. That's okay. This came out in 80. Yes, that's okay. I mean, who else is going to know that? There, there's going to be that one person that knows that. Oh, somebody me. will know that. For and, sure. th- and thanks to the, to the miracle of the Internet, they're going to make a big fuss about it and embarrass me. So <laughs> uh, I didn't want to, yeah, be one-upped. So I, it's, it's legit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's really very cool. Um, I mean, you know, I think one of the things that astonishes uh, non-audiophiles or maybe non-electronic music composers is that there's more than one reverb. (laughs) Uh, Can you believe it? I know. (laughs) It's like that's, you know, something I learned later in life because I, you know, never had occasion to learn that. And then you're like, wow. Yeah, well, so... If I may, let me just give you a quick elevator pitch on reverb just to kind of Please. break it down for, for your listeners. So, so you know, reverb, echo, people get a lot of confused. Echo is the thing where it repeats, like echo, 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 right? Okay, the reverb is like when you walk into a big cathedral and you clap your hands, it goes, okay, that's reverb, right? So it's bouncing off the walls in all directions. It just sounds like this soup of sound, right? So that's what we're really talking about. Then there's there was... I, there's three main types of reverbs that I was basically using this that existed. One was a spring reverb, which literally was a box with a spring in it. And the sound would be attached via electrical means to the box, and the sound would go through the reverb, the spring itself. And then it would out- output the audio signal of what it sounds like going through the spring. Wow. Okay, and there's things called plate reverbs, which is similar, like generally speaking, and you still have these in big major studios like Capitol and and uh, even uh, power, the old power station in New York, Avatar, a lot of old studios had this. And it was like they keep this big. It was like a bed size metal plate in their basement like in a room and they run the signal down there. It plays through the plate. And then you hear the sound played through the plate. So it basically makes this reverberant sound. And then they would mic that up. Wow. I know, it, you know, I, it, I'm really breaking it down in two No, I love it. No, ways, please. But I that's kind it. of what it was. And then, like, the Lexicon was a digital reverb, which means it was it had circuitry in it. So it was like a box, and you plug it in, and it went through all its little calculations and microchips and things, and then it exported the sound. And it was, you know, Lexicon just was known in those days for being like the 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 flagship reverb. It was like they had the best sound. And you hear it on all, not just 80s records, but you hear it still today, you know, on all, it's just one of those sounds. It has a thing. Um, so, and there were some other ones as well, but long story short, those were a lot of the recognizable sound sources that I went to. (laughs) 
So talk to me a little bit then, too, about just the differences in the synths, because, I, again, we could yeah. totally go way too deep into the weeds, but, you know, sure, like a sure, profit sure, sure. synth is something that people talk about right, often. Right. I like to compare early synths to early video games, like Pac-Man and Galaga and, you know, Dig Dug and Centipede and all those things, because yeah. there was something simple about them, but just it eternal. Mm-hmm. There's something about it that they didn't necessarily have so much complexity but there was so much personality and originality in the thing itself right and then everything tries to build upon that and keep and you know that's kind of the way i look at synths like for example even today the mini moog model d is the sound of the 80s bass it was actually came out in the 70s actually 1971 but you heard it on almost eight every single 80s record all right. I could go through and I could do a whole episode with you on just songs that use the mini moog, right? <laughs> but, you know, it's just ridiculous. But Careful it's what the you wish sound. for. <laughs> it's the sound, right? And I'm happy to come back. But anyway, so it's the sound. So that's one. And so I have my mini moog here. You know, the prophet, uh, Dave Smith was one of the uh, uh, designers of the prophet. Uh, and, um, you know, he was known. He just, like, you you play a, a, a sound or a chord or a a basic synth sound, and you just can recognize the personality of the sound, the whether it be the filters or the effects or the what, however it was, the circuitry. I guess it's kind of like a cook, like you know, like you can tell uh, uh, an amazing cook's, you know, marinara sauce versus another one. There's something yeah. about it. There's just something different about it. It has a certain personality to it, and a lot of those early synthesizers did. Whether it be the Roland, you can tell if it was a Jupiter versus a Juno versus a Prophet versus a, you know, Mini Moog, um, whatever. Yeah. Even the drum machines, they were just, there weren't that many. But the ones that were there existed, and some of them are still used to this day. The most famous being the Roland TR-808. <laughs> and my goodness, has that made a comeback in all the trap music we hear today. They use the 808 basically on every trap song there is. <laughs> Just to say, you know, my my kids, you know, make fun of me. I'm like, it's like the same song over and over. But my point is, (laughs) these are like the things that existed in the 80s and they still are used to this day because there's nothing else like it. Everybody imitates it. Wow. You know, so going back to that source, it was just like, ah, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's good. That's good. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like stranger things. I mean, come on. You listen to that stuff, it's like, oh, it just feels good. Yes. Right? (laughs) Yes. So that's what this was. So this is me doing my own thing, except in the Wolfenstein personality, but approaching it the same way the composers of Stranger Things would. to me a little bit about adapting the music for a soundtrack so you know if there's no soundtrack release officially you have to then take it upon yourself well i mean you have to take it upon yourself no matter what but (laughs) (laughs) yes but explain that process because that's uh one of those uh 
details that gets overlooked a lot in uh, a job that you have. Right, yeah. So, you know, when you're doing music for a game, you're designing the musical blocks, let's say, for lack of a better term, to be triggered in the game itself, right? So you might have a 30-second loopable segment. And if you were to just listen to that loopable segment, there'd be no beginning to it. It would just kind of just start, you know, cold, just boom. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, it might just go dead immediately because it's not meant to be listened that way. It's meant to be looped, right? So when you're doing a soundtrack, you can't simply just go back to the music files that you did for the game and attach them together and everything sounds good. What you often have to do is go back into the original sessions, the original place where you created the music, and say, okay, if I were going to create this as something for someone to listen to in one sitting, so it has an introduction, and it builds, and then has a middle, and then it has an outro and an ending, how would I reinterpret this arrangement? So that takes additional time that you don't really have to do when you're scoring music for a game, mm -hmm. simply put. And then when you do... You have to take all that time to make that happen. Yes, and, when you yeah. do, you have to take all that time. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, in, in the game world, a lot of times the composer isn't really hired for that part. So it's upon the composer if, if he or she uh, so wishes to take that additional time um, to go the extra mile to create tracks that sound good on their, on their own uh, just to listen to, sure. you know. Yep. And it also depends. Some games you can get lucky. You can just basically say, hey, you know, it's already designed to be this one big five-minute thing with a beginning and an end. And great. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't so lucky in, in Wolfenstein. Currently, there's no plans for an official release, which is really unfortunate. I hope that changes. But in the meantime, for all the fans out there that want to hear it, uh, I have created some soundtrack-ready versions of the music that I did, uh, both on my SoundCloud page and on my website, Currently, I have four, including a, a fun song that I did with a group, which we can talk about a little later, perhaps. Uh, but these you can kind of hear, and they're, they're fun to listen to. Yeah, man, let's totally talk about that track, because that's amazing. And uh, the band Joy Division has such a... Oh, just a, such a story in the first place, but you got a chance to remake a, <laughs> we don't have to get into that, but, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but you got yes. to remake a Joy Division tune uh, called A Means to an End. So yes. uh, with an amazing band from Sweden. So wherever you yeah. want to start, I'd love to hear okay. the story. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. So along the way, you know, we, we're talking and I'm always about doing songs in a video game. You know, hey, is there an opportunity for us to create an original song or do a cover or whatever? So the audio director said, you know what? We'd love to do a cover of a Joy Division song called A Means to an End. And I'm like, OK, I hadn't heard that song, but I'm like, OK, sounds good. He says, and we're we're big fans of this group here in Sweden called The Guilt. There's this electro punk band. I'm like, cool, that sounds good. Yeah. I said, so we'd love to kind of do a, you know, something that feels like it, like it fits in the Wolfenstein universe, but something that has that kind of edge that they have, um, and also kind of is cohesive with the rest of the score that you did. I'm like, okay, you know, I love these unique mixtures or challenges or juxtapositions. So. Yeah. Um, so it was great. So I had a conference call with the band and then we, we had listened to the track uh, earlier and I'm like, and I'm listening to this song, A Means to an End. You, know, you should go check it out if you haven't already. I'm sure, Emily, you, you already know this track, but yeah. um, 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> when I heard this, I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> want to know the story of the night this guy had before he recorded that song because <laughs> there was something going on in that studio and the band kind of felt the same way and so we're like, why this song? Like, it just doesn't feel, it's just really slow and very lazy sounding. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, what? you know, it's like, what, what is that? I mean, this is, and he said, it's really not about the song. It's about the lyrics. Yeah. I said, ah, I can see. Cause it, the lyrics really do work for the, for the storyline and the characters. It felt like it was representative of the, of the sister. So I'm like, okay, I get it. So then, um, you know, in, in, in listening to some of the, the, the Gilt's music, I'm like, okay, we got to take this in a whole nother direction. I said, you know, so instead of real slow and lethargic, we need to be like kick ass. I was like, boom, 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 boom. so I listened to this song they did called uh, Anomalies. It's like crazy. It's almost like, like Marilyn Manson electro punk. And, uh, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm talking about. This is like, you know, ass kicking kind of the music you'd expect to hear but yeah. how do i how do i morph how do i make a child out of that and 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 uh, you know means to an end so the first thing was okay let's let's reinterpret the tempo first of all let's let's just speed that thing up and let's make put those drums like you know definitely like an 80s drum beat with uh you know good old 80s drum machine dmx and some other things thrown in there and layered up with it and let's Get, of course, let's do a mini mo bass line. And so instead of that like really lazy electric wrangly bass sound, let's do like you know, it was yeah. like that's how we did it. And uh, so I, I kind of sketched out the whole track. I sent it over to them. They're like, yeah, I get it. I see it. And then she really had, Emma had a really challenge um, in front of her to to really own that song. Because she wasn't feeling it. Mm -hmm. She wasn't feeling it. So she's like, how, you know, how do I own this? So I think we did about eight different separate recording sessions until we're like, yeah, you got, this is you now. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, it took it took a, a while, but um, but she nailed it, and I just love it. And in fact, they were asked to perform at the release party in Sweden, and it was just a it was just a fantastic uh, way to conclude the project. Just you know, have everybody dancing to them performing this song in the way that the guilt does. It, it like yeah, we did it, we did it.
sections that weren't even there. There was no chorus in that song. So the part where she goes, and you, that never existed. And you. thing that that's refreshing to hear with a cooler you know progression and stuff so we we really took a lot of uh it was a very loose interpretation i guess you'd say um yep. but we kept all the lyrics and you know it was i don't know it was a fun it was a fun challenging journey but uh i'm very happy with the results and it's it's kind of brutal <laughs> it's unrelenting <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah 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 which, which i guess is good to I mean, I'm, I love what I've heard thus far, uh, and you know, hope I'm hoping to hear more. Can you maybe? Are you gonna make any more? Do you think? I would. I would definitely like to. Since since you asked, okay, I'm okay. going to. But yeah, <laughs> I I definitely want to. I mean, I'd love to hear from the fans. I'd like to hear what people think uh, mm -hmm. once they spend some time with it. And um, I definitely plan on going back and 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 doing it because. I enjoyed the music and I don't want it to just be lost and trapped in the game itself. I think it deserves to 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 extend its life and, and allow more and more people to enjoy it beyond the game. Yeah. You know, and the same with uh, Cyberpilot, which was the VR version. Oh, which was cool. Else that, yeah. Yeah. So there was um, uh, I'm not sure if um, how much you knew about that. But on oh. the same day, they did release uh, Wolfenstein Cyberpilot. Oh. And so. Um, a lot of the music was shared from the two games with okay. Youngblood, um, but they did want me to compose a unique, uh, exclusive track for Cyberpilot. And it was very much in the same spirit as the other stuff, but it was a little more high tech sounding because you're dealing with robots and hacking into computers. Okay. So it was still done in the same time frame. It's a prequel to Youngblood and, uh, it's a lot of fun. I have a vibe and man, I can't tell you how satisfying it is to, be sitting in there and with a big flamethrower on a giant robot dog and just burning up Nazis. It was just <laughs> very, very, very satisfying. It's like the dream we had when we were kids in the 80s. Yeah. Like, be in the game. Yeah. You know? It's like, and then you go home and you play your Atari and you're a dot, you know, but exactly you know, now you can be in the game. So uh, that that was uh, so. If you have a Vive or a PlayStation VR, Oculus, check it out. It's uh, a lot of fun. I do want to, before we let you go, ask you about one of your new projects because it's also '80s themed, and I love it. So you have a new podcast. Will you tell us about it? Oh, sure. Thank you. It is called Two Guys and the 80s. And uh, this was the brainchild of my brother-in-law and myself just sitting in his house 
and just reminiscing about the 80s. And we just went from one topic to the next, which was like we were talking about early retro video games, and then we're talking about music, and then 80s movies, and 80s sitcoms. And I'm like, we were like talking for an hour. We're like, damn, I wish we were recording this. This was so good. He's like, why don't we do a podcast? I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, man, you have a recording studio. You could do this. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. So over a year ago, we started this little side project for fun, and it's turned into a real podcast. So we just released the fourth episode last night. It's the one about cartoons. And um, and I, if, you, if you're into the 80s, please uh, listen to it. Enjoy it. It's a fun ride. It's free, and it'll take you back. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tom. It was great to talk with you as always. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to episode 114 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Tom Salta at TomSalta.com and see a playlist at Patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at LevelWithEmily.com. Made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc.